0: Well, one of the confessions of every Orthodox Christian church, and for that matter of every Orthodox Christian, is that our God, the God of the Bible, is three three unique and distinct persons. So He is God the Father, and He, key word, is God the Son, and He is God the Holy Spirit. And yet, even though He is three unique and distinct persons, He is nevertheless still only one God. So in other words, He's not three gods, and He's not one God who sometimes appears as a Father, and sometimes appears as a Son, and sometimes appears as a Holy Spirit. But instead... He is Father, and He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit, and these three unique and distinct persons all together comprise the singular God of the Bible. And what I'm really kind of hoping at this point is that you're not actually expecting me to be able to exhaustively at least explain that to you, because I can't do that. And what I've discovered as I've read and studied a bit is that, you know what, neither can anybody else. Like there's helpful teaching on the topic and it is in fact helpful. There are helpful analogies and illustrations that I could give to you and all of that. And You'd kind of go, oh yeah, that's interesting, you know. But at some point we run out of our ability to answer whatever the next question is. And at that point we just kind of go, yeah, I don't know. And I think that's befuddling to some folks. I mean, I know it's a mystery to Christians and all of that, but I think we accept that. But I I think that it's befuddling to people who maybe are investigating the Christian faith and they look at that and they hear that and go, man, that is just so weird. Like that is, how do you explain that? And as I've already said, I I can't, but, but what I kind of want to say is I, I don't think it's reasonable to frankly expect me to be able to fully do that. And here's why, and I'll use myself as an example. Okay. God is limitless and I am massively limited. Okay, so then how can I, as a massively limited person, fully explore and exhaust the limitless God and then in the limited medium of communication, which is all I have, called human language, explain to other similarly limited beings everything about the limitless God? Can't do it. God is immeasurable. I'm five, nine and a half. And for the record, when you are five, nine and a half, you say that little half piece right there. Like the half counts. When you're six, four and a half, you don't care, right? You're like, yeah, I'm around six, four. You know, actually, I'm six, four and a half. Yeah, okay, well, good for you. All right, so <laughs> God is immeasurable. I'm easily measured. You don't even need to use a lot of the measuring tape. So, how can one so easily measure? Measure out the immeasurable one and then explain his dimensions to everyone else. God is inexhaustible. I'm exhaustible. Pretty easily so. So how can I exhaust the inexhaustible and then inexhaustibly explain him to other people who are also exhaustible like me? Last one, I promise. God is infinite. Now think about this. I am finite, so are you. So is language. So then is it reasonable to expect that any of us can fully with our little finite minds exhaust the infinite and then through the finite medium of communication that is language explain him in a completely satisfying way to other finite beings. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And yet here I think is what we can do and what we ought to do. I think what we ought to do is take the word of the living God who has come to us and spoken to us about all kinds of things, including himself and who, by the way, as an aside says to us, Hey guys, my thoughts, not your thoughts, my ways, not your ways as the heavens are higher than the earth. What my ways are above yours. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm infinite, you're finite, and so there are going to be things about me that at some point you cannot grasp. But it doesn't mean you can't accept. There's a humility in just sort of understanding your own limitations and realizing that God is not necessarily as similarly limited and just kind of going, yeah, you know what? He's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those three persons that are unique and distinct together comprise only one God. And yeah, I just have to go with that. And that's not unreasonable. And the reason I bring all of that stuff up today is because I think practically speaking on a day-to-day basis, in the way that we live out our faith, we live out our faith as though God is actually only two persons. So he is God the Father. And He is God the Son, and we're all about each. And we just kind of leave out God the Holy Spirit, which is tragically ironic. And here's why. Because the work of God in our lives, the work of God in our families, the work of God in our church, in our school, in the church, in this city, the work of God in the city, in the nation, in the world, all around the world today is clearly been delegated by God the Father and God the Son to God the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that God the Father and God the Son said, here, take the project and went on vacation. But they're one, you see. So they work together as one. But what it does mean is that it is the job of the Holy Spirit to work out the will of the Father and the will of the Son in my life and in your life and in everyone else's as well. So whereas, yes, we need the Father. And yes, we need the Son we also need the Holy Spirit. And if you're not convinced, let me tell you some of the things, just a few of the many things that the Bible comes to us and tells us that the Holy Spirit does. So for example, it is the Holy Spirit who gives life. And it's true physically and it's true spiritually. You open the Bible to the first couple of pages. You read the creation story. Who's creating? Who's giving life? Who's the Holy Spirit? And then you look into the passages of Scripture and he talks about our own hearts, our own faith, our spiritual life And Jesus, for example. Says things like this in John 3, beginning of verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. What is he talking about? A physical birth. And we all know this. We're walking illustrations of this. We're physical beings that were given birth to by a physical being. Birth, spring, forth, life. And Jesus says, okay, well, it's the same spiritually. He says, that which is born of the Spirit, meaning of the Holy Spirit, is spirit. And so then he says, look, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, if you're going to come to faith in me, if you're going to be forgiven and washed and made new and made clean and brought into the family of God and receive my inheritance and everything that is ours by grace through faith in Jesus, if you're going to wake up to the reality that there's a God, that he's not me or you, that he made us to live for him and we haven't, And yet instead of casting us aside, He's pursued us in love by becoming one of us and doing what we failed to do and then paying the price for all of our failures. Okay, here's what has to happen. The Holy Spirit has to come and awaken those realities in your life. He has to make you alive to that. Otherwise, the gospel just keeps flying by us like cars on the highway. You know, it's why some of us, the way that we experience Christ is we hear it and 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 and then all of a sudden we get it. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit saying, this is your day. It's powerful. So the Spirit gives life to us, to our kids, to our family members, to our friends, to our co-workers. We need the Spirit to move is the idea the Spirit also gives power, power to worship God, power to witness to God, power to serve God. And with what? With the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us primarily for the purpose of worship and witness and of service. The Spirit also brings unity. The evil one brings disunity, which is kind of an interesting thought. You can sort of apply that to your life. You, know, you can start looking for unity and disunity. Where do I need to give way to the Holy Spirit? Well, everywhere is the answer, but Lord, bring unity to this. God, speak unity into this. It's His work. That's the idea. The Spirit dispenses the blessings of God. And so we read about God and and we understand that He is a God of love and He is a God of joy and He is a God of peace and He is a God of power and He is a God of wisdom and He is a God of comfort and He is a God of freedom and of hope and of glory and all of these different things. It's the Holy Spirit, however, who takes the words off the page, applies them to our lives in such a way that we realize not just with our minds, but experience with our hearts and with our lives, the reality, for example, of the love of God. In the Bible, knowledge is not primarily intellectual. It's experiential. Adam knew his wife, and then she had a baby. Really? It's not something we read about and know about, and we get the answer and we can pass the quiz. That's not the point. Oh, I know the right answer. Well, that's not the kind of knowledge the Bible is talking about. The kind of knowledge is, no, no, I know the right answer because I've experienced the love of God in my life. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to read them to you in a second. And as I read them to you, I want you to think about the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit. For example, if you're married in that relationship or some other relationship, every area of your life actually, and then I want you to realize overtly, consciously, that those benefits are not actually the reason that God is producing these things in your life through the Holy Spirit. But instead, He produces the fruit of the Spirit in and through you so that the world can see the invisible Jesus at work through you, which is why He produces things like love in and through you in the most unloving of circumstances. When every fiber of every one of our natural beings as human beings would react differently. Get the idea? So what are they? They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Spirit, fill us. Spirit, engender that within us. Give us that. That's a supernatural work. The opposite of every one of those is every one of our instincts it's what we do. And then here's what else the Spirit does, among many other things. But if you've done your personal worship, then hopefully you already know this. The Holy Spirit inspires a love in us for Jesus that then shows up how? It shows up in obedience to Jesus. It's expressed by the way that we live, meaning by the way that we live for Him. Listen to what Jesus says. John 14, beginning in verse 15. He says, if you what? Here's the key. Love me, then you will do what? You will keep my commandments. Not you might keep my commandments. Hey, you know what? The probability of you keeping my commandments goes up significantly if you love me. Now, that's not the way that love works. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And why will you keep my commandments? Because love will cause you to actually, and even shockingly in some cases, surprisingly to you and everyone else, To desire to do it. Everybody who's ever been in love knows this. Think about what love causes you to do. Love causes you, for example, to think a lot about the one that you love, don't you? I mean, you think a lot about this one that you're in love with. Isn't that the case? Even the most disciplined and compartmentalized of us find thoughts of the one that we love invading and overflowing into all of the different compartments of our day and all of the different compartments of our lives. And unlike every other thing that invades those compartments, which bring great irritation, we indulge these thoughts. We enjoy these thoughts. We let them take us away wherever it is that they're going to distractingly, preoccupyingly take us. It's all good. Why? Because of love. Tell you what else you do. You communicate a lot with the one that you love. Phone calls, voicemails, emails, text messages, bitmoji characters, I've got one for you. There you go. Yeah. So I showed that last night. My wife said, no, 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 you need to show some of the other ones you've sent me, so let's go. There's one. Not sure you're going to like the next one. Let's just go with it. It's a little awkward. She told me to add that for the record. Okay, listen, apart from love, that is humiliating, is it not? I mean, that is abject foolishness. Like, what grown man engages in that? One who's in love. Simple explanation. Changes the math, doesn't it? You spend a lot of time with the one that you love. Here's why you do it. You make the time. That's the only way any of us ever find time to do anything. We make it. And how do we make it? By taking the one that we love and putting him or her or it at the top of our priority list and then making everything else in life somehow find a schedule around that you spend a lot of money on the one that you love you just do listen when i was dating beth i was a law student i had no job i had no prospect of the job all i had was a lot of unfounded unwarranted confidence that's it it's all I was spending money on her like that was my job. It was unbelievable, okay? And when it came to, when I realized this is the one and now is the time and I'm a close the deal guy, like I'm gonna, let's get the dotted, like we're gonna sign, here's the pen, let's get it arranged. I went and took out a $5,000 bar loan, not because I needed the money to do what it's intended to do, which is to pay for all the fees and the courses and the classes that you have to take to get ready to take the bar exam, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now my parents were gonna pay for that. I took out a $5,000 loan so that I could buy the ring. And then I went to the jewelry store with all five grand, spent it all, and then added a little, not a lot, but a little to it on my credit card. Why? Because that is wise financial planning? No, that is crazy! (laughs) Don't do that! That's insane! One reason. Love. You know that. Hey, here's what else. Love will cause you to do things, to go places, that under any other circumstance in life, you would never, keyword desire, to do. Like, there's a sign-up sheet in the back for this. There is zero chance that you're going to sign up for it. So I'm going to give you a ridiculous example that I think 98% of you, at least, are going to be able to relate to with a small, minor amount of irritation possibly attached to it, okay? Dress shopping for men. I'm just going to go there. Just gonna own it, I'm gonna put it out there, and I'm gonna first state that there are some exceptions to what I'm gonna say. Sweeping generalizations are gonna be applied that don't apply to everyone. So I have a really good friend, he loves to shop. His wife does not love to shop. So it's like, it's opposite of the norm. And he's kind of a fashion maven. And so he's got all of her sizes and all of her colors and he goes to the mall and he buys all of these beautiful clothes that he thinks she's going to look great in and then he brings them home and she tries them all on and then he takes back what she doesn't like. And I, That is amazing. Like, who does that? That's just, that's weird, man. I mean, that's, but it's wonderful if it's working for you and it, it works for them. But the typical guy is not that guy and that's frustrating to the typical woman. And I understand that. Like, I totally get that. You don't understand why this is not an exciting, invigorating experience. But I mean, if you turn it around for a second, just if you can do that, just, just give me the grace for just for a second. Yeah, the guy doesn't get it either. Like, it's this opposite reaction. But from his, in other words, he looks at you and he's been to the mall with you. So he sees what happens. Like he sees that the mall is this energizing, kind of enlivening experience and all of your senses are heightened and quickened and pupils dilate and like, it's amazing. It's this incredible thing, you know? And meanwhile, he doesn't understand that like you don't understand him because he is having exactly the opposite experience. So when we walk into the mall, just gonna say it. We think if I'm here for too long, I could die because <laughs> all of the life is just flowing out of us in this irresistible flow that if we could stop, guys, please believe me, we would stop it. It's not convenient for us either. Like it, nobody wins. By the second dress store, and you know they are more than that. We want to do what we did when we were five. And every parent has seen this. Now, we don't do it, and I'm not asking for a medal or something for not doing it. I'm just telling you, we just want to lay down on the floor, man. It's just, oh, but instead we sit in the only chair in the store that's graciously provided for men, and, (laughs) you know, and they ought to rent those things. I don't know why they don't, but, and it's why we disappear. You know, you go try on a dress, you come out, we're gone from the chair. Where are you? Brookstone. (laughs) Why are you in Brookstone? Because there's oxygen in Brookstone. <laughs> and I thought I was about to die. Okay, so apart from love, do you want to go to the mall? We're going to go dress shopping together. Men do the math on that like this. Okay, it's going to take probably two, three hours, right? And we're going to go to several different stores? Yes. we're Going to try on a lot of different dresses? I don't know, maybe eight, maybe 10, something like that? Probably. You're going to narrow it down to three-ish by the end of the dress experience, yes. And then we're going to have to cycle back and see them all again a second time. That's true. Then you're going to ask me a question that experience teaches me is maybe not entirely sincere. You're going to ask me the dangerous question of which one I like the best. And here's what you really want from me. You want me to tell you that I like the one that you've already decided is the best. But you're hiding that decision from me Which means I have about a 33% chance of success. It's not fair. Just tell us that's the one and we'll go, yeah, because here's the deal, we don't care. (laughs) Buy all three, let's just go. (laughs) All right. And then there's always the possibility that we're actually going to do all of this and then not close the deal. Like, you know what? I think I'm just going to put them all on hold. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, ha! because I was on a mission to find a dress and now we're not doing it. So it's crushing. I'm just going to say it's just crushing. But anyway, do you want to go to the mall and look for a dress for me? You know, that's like asking a man if he wants to be eaten by a shark. He does not want to do that. You know, can I run you over with my car? Yeah, back up and get a running start. <laughs> but here's the thing. When you're in love, the math is different. So here's the math. It's very simple. I need to go buy a dress. Do you want to go to the mall and go dress shopping with me? I don't know. Are you going to be there? I'm going to be there. I'm in. That's it. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how much it costs. I mean, I might care a little bit about that eventually. But, but really, what does love do? It makes you different. And it makes you want to please the one you love, even if that requires you to do things that you would not under any other circumstance ever in your life choose to go off and to do. And what Jesus is talking to us about is not things as inane, frankly, and I don't mean to offend anybody, is finding a dress. Comparatively speaking, He's talking about life and death, including eternal life and eternal death. He's saying, look, this is what really matters. And if you'll love me, You'll find yourself wanting to do it. And you'll be surprised, and so will other people. You're doing what? It's crazy. I would have never thought that you would do something like that. And I don't get it, I don't understand it, but you know what I do? I I see that there's something different. Love changes your want to. It changes everything. So Jesus, again, he says, if you love me, then you will do what? You will keep my commandments. And now what does he say? And I will do what? I will ask the Father, and then he will do what? He will give you what he will now describe or who he will now describe as the Holy Spirit. And he describes him with this first word. He starts with another. Now, why does that even matter? Because the word another means another of the same kind or of the same substance or another of the same essence. What is he saying? He's saying that there is God the Father and that there is God the Son and that there's another just like us. And that He is God the Holy Spirit who He then describes as a helper, which too is a difficult word to translate. It's probably best translated advocate. What it means is someone who walks alongside with you in life or who stands next to you in life and who speaks to and for you. Jesus, in this moment, when he's actually giving this teaching to his disciples, is about to die, be buried, be raised, spend a little time appearing on earth, and then ascend back to heaven. In other words, he has been physically present with these guys for the better part of the last three years, doing what? Walking beside them, standing beside them. Speaking to them. Speaking for them. And he's going to leave. And he's saying, guys, it's going to be okay. Because God is going to send another advocate. Another one to do that for you. In my physical absence, the Holy Spirit, well, the Holy Spirit will be with you, he says. And how long? For three years? No, no, no. For forever forever. And then he continues the description. He says, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world, he says, cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Knowledge is experiential. That spiritual birth is necessary to it. They neither see Him nor know Him, but you who believe in Me, is the idea, who have been awakened by the Spirit, know Him. Why? For He dwells with you. In fact, He says, He will be in you, walking beside you, standing beside you, and telling you the truth. And you say, well, the truth about what? Well, the truth about whatever it is that you need to know the truth about. So I made a list of examples when your heart condemns you. And here's what happens. It does, doesn't it? And here's what you and I, all of us have done. We've given it a whole pile of stuff to draw from. Ah, do you know how you did this? And you know your attitude here and you know what you said this and you understand this whole thing. And I mean, it can be absolutely awful. By the way, keep in mind that the evil one's name in the Bible too is the accuser. Listen for the voice of the accuser in your heart, in your life. That, that word of condemnation that seeks to destroy and devalue you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit who is within you is going to speak a different word. And it's not one of condemnation, but it's one in alignment with God's Word. So for example, He'll reach down into the depths of your heart in which you have stored up God's Word, right? Or He'll meet with you in personal worship in which you're looking into God's Word. And He'll bring words to your heart and mind like there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 And when fear overwhelms you, and it does, the Spirit will pull from 2 Timothy 1.7, for example. And it'll remind you that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And when your circumstances suggest that God has abandoned you, and at times they do, by His design, think about that. The Spirit will call to mind the words, for example, of Hebrews thirteen five, where the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you when you question how God could ever love you. He'll come to you with the gospel, which is what? It's not that you buy the love of God by your own performance, but that it's been bought and paid for by the performance of Jesus and given to you as a free gift. And then He'll take you to somewhere like Romans eight thirty eight where Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When it's wisdom you need, he'll say, Hey, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And I could keep going, but I think you get the point. However, what does all of this communication with the Holy Spirit presuppose? Two things, really. First of all, it presupposes that you and I are depositing God's Word into our hearts so that it's there when He wants to lay hold of one of those passages of Scripture and go, hey, remember this? And that you and I are spending time regularly in God's Word, depositing it, but then also just worshiping Him and and studying His Word and giving Him those moments daily and weekly to do what? To speak to us through His Word, through song, the presence of His Spirit communicating, and then it presupposes as well that we actually have hearts that are inclined. Because you can get invited to go to the mall and go shopping for a dress or, you know, whatever. But if you don't want to, I mean, you might go because you're a nice person and you're trying to be helpful, and, you know, but inside you're kind of going, eh, I'm going to go get some coffee. It presupposes hearts that want to. Because they have been captured by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by the presence of the living Christ who lives within us and who is Himself the consummate expression of God's love. Love calls out to love, guys. The love of God transforms. And here's what it does. (laughs) It makes us loving toward Him. And that makes us loving toward everyone else. So anyway, Jesus continues in John 14... But now in verse 18, by saying, he's saying, in my return to heaven, in my physical absence, I will not leave you as orphans, but instead I will come to you through the Holy Spirit is the idea. Yet a little while, he says, and the world will see me no more. They'll kill me, they'll bury me, and then I'll reappear to you, but then I'll leave. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. You'll see me after my resurrection physically, but but you'll see me at work in your own life and in the lives of each other and in the world in which you live. And because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me. And I in you. You will know. How? Academically? No, no, no. You'll know. It's different. And then here it is again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, who is that person? He's the one who loves me because that's what love does. You, you you want to, you can't not do it. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him because hey you know what we're one and and I'll manifest myself to him how? By whom? Through the Holy Spirit. And so then just to kind of sum it all up, bottom line what do we need? Well we need to know God's word. We need to be actively engaged in it. We need to be storing it up in our hearts. We need to be seeking to understand it as best we can on a regular basis. Yes, but what else? We need to be filled with God's Spirit who takes that word and inspires faith in us and a love for Jesus that then changes everything. Changes our want to. Listen, love makes you different. Okay, so with that in mind, I'm going to give you a quiz and you know it's coming. So you think a lot about those you love. How much do you think about Christ? You communicate a lot with those you love, silly bitmojis, whatever. And Jesus, you make time for those you love. How about the Lord? You spend a lot of money on those you love. Figure that one out. And you gladly do things for those you love that you wouldn't otherwise do, wouldn't be drawn to. But you want to do, why? Because you just want to please that person. How'd you do? Okay, so here's the answer, and it's everyone's answer. Not nearly as well as I should have. It's my answer. And I ask it not to make you feel bad. I ask it to point out to you that Christ died for that answer and everything else. And you need to allow that to fill up your heart, to relieve you of your guilt. Guilt is a terrible motivation for obedience. Shame is a terrible motivation for obedience. Fear is a terrible motivation for obedience. Sustained, joyful obedience only comes from love. And it comes by being captured by the love of God in Christ for you. You're forgiven. It's all good. Let that transform you. Because if that transforms you, that changes everything else. Martin Luther said, love God and do as you please. And he can safely say that. Why? Because what will please you, what will begin to please you, is what pleases him. So chew on that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask uh, that You would send Your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit, our families with Your Spirit, this church with Your Spirit, the church in this city with Your Spirit. God, as we look around our city, our nation, our world, and we think about all of the things the Spirit alone does and can do, more than anything or anyone else, We need Him. He is the presence of the Father in us. He is the presence of Jesus in us. Lord, send Your Spirit and transform us. And God, may we commit to giving Him space to do exactly that. I lift up our habits and practices, our disciplines as Christians, personal worship, all of these different things. The things that transform us and cultivate within us a love for you. And I pray that, Lord, we might renew our commitment to it. Not because we ought to, but because we need to. And translate that into then a want to. Love changes everything. We pray that you would capture us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.